Hello and welcome to today's episode. Today I am chatting with Grace Quantock about creative therapeutic journaling. I'm really excited to dive into this topic and hear all about what Grace has to say. You are listening to Creating Wellness from Within, a podcast devoted to helping you live your best life through self-care and wellness. In each episode, we will strive to offer you actionable advice and tools to help you with your journey towards greater personal wellness. I am your host, Amy Zellmer. I am editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Yoga and Life magazine and the Brain Health magazine. Additionally, I have published four books on the topic of brain injury and concussion, and I am passionate about yoga, wellness, photography, travel, and all things glittery. You can learn more about me at creatingwellnessfromwithin.com. Today, my guest is the amazing and beautiful Grace Quantock. Grace lives in Wales, UK, and is a psychotherapeutic counselor, a depth coach, writer, and specializes in working with trauma, disability, and marginalized identities. She wants to live in a world where you are loved, accepted, and supported. And when illness, disability, trauma, or grief throws your life off track, you can blaze a new trail to the true you. Welcome to the podcast, Grace. So happy to have you here. Thank you so much. Am I mentioning Wales? Good afternoon, everybody. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. I love this podcast. I love your other guests. So I'm so honored to be here today. And thank you so much. I can't wait to to get started and talk more about this. It's wonderful to be here. Well, and Grace, you and I, we were just chatting before we start recording. I think we've known each other since about 2011. And I just can't get over how time flies. And (laughs) you literally just wrapped up your master's degree. So a huge congratulations to you on that. Um, I know how much work that can be. So congratulations. So let's jump in and talk about therapeutic journaling. I myself am a huge advocate of journaling in general. Um, So I have my notebook and pen handy because I suspect I'm going to learn a thing or two today with you. Um, So where would you like to start? Maybe just kind of defining what is therapeutic journaling? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes. And so... I started working with therapeutic journaling with clients and with classes that I was teaching. I teach workshops um, online now in the pandemic. And, you know, I started really noticing that people were struggling in between sessions. And so there would be, so sometimes, and, you know, people can bring whatever they need to bring to therapy. But sometimes, uh, particularly people have a marginalized identity. So, for example, they're a person of difference. Maybe they are um, disabled. Maybe they are LGBTIQ plus community person. Perhaps they're a person of color in um, a predominantly white area or or up against white systems. They have to kind of interact with quite a lot. Um, It can mean that actually all through that time and kind of through day to day, there's a lot happening. There's a lot being taken in there's a lot that you rub up against and there can often be very few safe spaces where you can really be seen be heard and share your voice in a way that isn't minimized that Mm. isn't dismissed that isn't critiqued uh, that isn't diminished 
Um, and while we're working on creating a world that has those spaces for all of us, um, a journal can be a really useful place to actually figure out our voice and what is and isn't ours for ourselves. So, you know, we have lots of research about how journaling can be therapeutic. Um, but why I call it creative therapeutic journaling is because we bring creativity into the process, not just with writing, but also with mark, mark making and colour. And it's our relationship with the journal that makes it therapeutic with the process. And my intention in calling it this was to try and diminish, hopefully, some of that pressure for the journal to look a certain way. Because, mm. you know, we've got beautiful yeah. artists making beautiful journals, but that can be very different to a therapeutic journal. Yeah. And, you know, I like the idea, too, that your journal is your safe space. And, you know, in a world where... I like to use the term brave space because I, you know, I don't feel like any space can be a hundred percent safe because nobody entirely knows what another person's going through. Right. So we can try our best to make it a brave space. Um, but your journal is yours and you are the only one reading it unless you choose to allow someone else to look at it. And so it truly is a safe space because, you know, it's, it's for you to write how you're feeling or what you want without any judgment and um, even your own judgment, right? Like without writing these, the yeah, without, without you judging it or anyone else judging it. Yeah. Well, actually, exactly. As you say, the working on being able to write without judging is often, or rather working to be able to write while we kind of pause some of the judgments can certainly be, I think, one of the first steps of a creative therapeutic journaling practice, because, you know, all those external voices that judge all those systems and ways of thinking, we often internalize all those without even realizing it. And so we are judging ourselves in our journals. Um, and, you know, sometimes there is that fear of the blank page of what do I do mm. and kind of, you know, What's going to happen if I put myself forward on it? Will I? It's a bit like a mirror. It's, you know, that kind of aversion to seeing myself. And it's not simply, I don't think often it's simply, oh, I just don't want to see myself. We often don't want to see ourselves because we've been um, taught or socialized that actually we don't look right or what we see is not enough or there's some comparison happening there. That's really natural and understandable. Um, and also, you know, for some people, unfortunately, their journals don't feel particularly safe. So they might feel like actually it's a place where they might end up putting themselves down and then seeing themselves too much and it just feels too big. Or for example, if you feel that perhaps your journal might be read, some people obviously living in unsafe family situations or unsafe living right. situations where that doesn't feel possible. And, you know, in those cases, for example, what we might do if um, we want to... Uh, write something but not judge ourselves, we might try writing with our eyes closed. Or we might try writing in the darkened room or with a like a, a, a kind of eye mask on. Or perhaps we might try writing and then taping the pages closed with masking or washi tape. So we've written it, but then we're just closing it for now. And a journal can also be a container for that which we can't hold in our own bodies and we want to kind of spit something out. Yeah. yeah. But you know, that's where it's not a pretty book. That's where you might have a page where we 
all goes out. And then perhaps we don't want to look at that every time we open the journal. We don't want it to open on that page. So maybe we just tape it closed or perhaps we tape a few closed and we decorate around the outside. And then, for example, you know, I lived in situations where I did not know if my journal would be read. And I've journaled since I was five years old. And so then I moved into the more creative space. So, for example, I would use a lot of dashes. I would dash through what I couldn't write or names or feelings or I would use symbols or colour or shape or um, a sketch of something or a sketch of how something felt or even just a mark, just making a mark and a colour. And that contained that for me, even when I couldn't necessarily write a narrative. And I think there is often a sense, because again, what's a journal? What's a planner? What's a bullet journal? What's a diary? Is a journal, dear diary, today I, is it recounting? And, you know, one thing I do, especially when I'm, um, you know, really exhausted and many journalists will do this um, because I live with chronic illness, I'm disabled. um, I will say to myself, you only have to write down three things or five things. And I will just do bullet points and say you have to write. And they can be three things I felt in the day, three moments I remember, three, four, five things that are on my mind. And of course, once I start, there's something in that release and that holding that often continues. Um, but do you know what? If it is three things, that's still three things that I don't have to carry on my shoulders to bed that night. Mm-hmm. And that still matters. Yeah. I've done a lot of gratitude journaling. And so every night before bed, I like to do it right before bed. Um, because then you're going to bed with, you know, all the positives from your day. Um, and I would literally take a page. And I would just bullet point everything I was grateful for. And it could be as simple as these pink post-it notes or my pen or my favorite coffee mug. Like it didn't have to be anything deep or profound. It could be those things, but I didn't pressure myself. It could just be anything I was grateful for. And if you've had a crappy day and you sit down to write out those things that you're grateful for, like you said, even if it's just three things, it can really shift how you feel. And especially, like I said, I did mine right before bed. And so I I could shift out of that crappy day and go to bed on a more positive experience. Um, and I've been doing that for years and, you know, I'm, I'm a big supporter of getting it out of your head and onto paper too can, um, you know, be very therapeutic. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, gratitude journey, I do it too. I also do it at, at, at night. And, um, but you know, I know um, plenty of people in journaling workshops have said to me a few, so I'm just going to kind of hit on a few kind of common um, roadblocks people experience with gratitude yeah. journaling sometimes. I think you've managed to navigate some of those, but I just wanted to kind of pick up on the techniques I think you might have used to do that, that maybe that was just natural to you, but perhaps if you make it a bit explicit, it might kind of help people who may be watching or listening or kind of uh, taking this in later. Um, Because people often say to me, you know, they do gratitude journaling and then um, they just find themselves listing the same things all the time and they get kind of bored with it. It's it's one thing. Um, And, you know, what can be really useful then sometimes, I think, is to actually get smaller. Because I think when we do that, we tend to be, there can sometimes be a process where sometimes we're feeling slightly um, 
uh, torn about where we are in the world and who we are and what's happening, because there can be well, you know, especially as we're seeing, you know, the increasing climate crisis and in climate breakdown to some extent, we're seeing, you know, the terrible things that are happening in the world, sometimes in, a, in our own worlds, the people we love, there can be that sense of who am I to have a safe bed? Who am I to be warm? Who am I to, to like, you know, we kind of, there's that, that, that um, self-recrimination uh, of why should I have had a latte today when people are starving? And, you know, what these are, I think this struggle points to something larger, which is that we have, you know, a feeling and we have, we can feel that inequity. And perhaps that's pointing to us doing something larger towards it. And perhaps, you know, what we're struggling with there is something about we don't know what to do or how to do it. And I think always a really good start then is to look at what others are doing, look at what organisations, grassroots are in your area, look at who you admire, who's doing things and see what they're recommending and see if you can get involved in some kind of um, something's already existing. Because, you know, we, we avoid burnout by resting and being in community and we need people to act sustainably. So sometimes there's like that discontent that I think comes up, which is pointing us towards maybe we need to act in a bit of a bigger way if we if we can, particularly putting our little bit we can do towards something that's much wider. So it feels we can feel that momentum. But also, I think sometimes we get to that space because we're actually going really big with our gratitudes. Okay, I go, I'm grateful for my, my family. I'm grateful for my home. And these are great big gratitudes, but they're kind of the same every day. We're always grateful for our home generally. And we're always grateful that our loved ones are alive and safe as long as right. they are. Great. But as you've said, it's then getting very small. So it is then the pink post-it notes, the coffee mug, the bird you saw, the socks that you're wearing. It is then kind of shrinking that down. And quite often it can be something there around our senses or our sensations. So we can think, you know, what did I smell today? It was beautiful. I smell the orange as I cut it. I really like orange. That was a beautiful moment for me. Or, you know, I can feel my dog's fur next to me. I'm really, and so not just grateful for my dog, but grateful for the sensation of being snuggled with my dog when it's rainy outside and we're together and I can hear her half purring, half snoring, half purring, half snoring. And that's a much more evocative gratitude. Yeah. Um, however, and thank you. Another thing I will also do as kind of to flip it is I will do things I'm grateful that are not the case. So I am grateful to not have to be in a maths lesson. And I'm grateful that I didn't have to wait in the rain at the bus stop today. And I am grateful that I did... I don't know, X difficult thing, because it's over now. I don't have to do it again. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes a list of what I don't have to do or I have done and have got through um, can be really wonderful. But I also want to add that, you know, sometimes we're in a really difficult place and it can feel like, you know, we're trying to dredge up a gratitude. And sometimes when you're, the day's been or the period of your life is so difficult, is so dark and hard. And I've seen people, you know, they're kind of, we're trying to do that positive gratitude thing. We're trying to turn the day around. And we're almost t- spinning our wheels in the mud. And then we can't find anything to be grateful for because everything feels terrible. And so you're just going, you're just revving and revving, getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And, you know, at that point, I think, or before that, I think it can be really important to also acknowledge it's okay if there are some days when everything feels terrible and we don't feel grateful for anything. That doesn't make us a terrible person. It doesn't mean it's our fault. 
it doesn't mean we're doing anything wrong. It just means that, you know, right now it's tough. And, you know, when I was first diagnosed with illness, quite often people who were uncomfortable with illness, with suffering, with disability, with the inequity in our world would kind of try and get me to be grateful for something. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I started to identify and think, you know what, I'm pretty sure you're trying to do this for you. I'm pretty sure what you want in our visit is to have kind of coerced me into saying that I'm grateful for something and then kind of make kind of trying to see if I'll half smile and then for you things will settle and it's all okay then because you know at least she's got that think no Mm -hmm. if it seems difficult to you that I like was living in inaccessible housing with no access to a bathroom do you know what that should be uncomfortable to people Yes, it should. It was uncomfortable to me. It's uncomfortable to all the disabled people, to all the unhoused people who can't access safe spaces and safe sanitation and safe and safe and the right to live and be housed. So sometimes there's, you know, this, this pressure more widely to be grateful. And sometimes I really resist that and think, you know what, some things are really, really tough. And actually acknowledging that shadow and staying with the toughness, almost giving up that day on the pressure to try and turn it into a good day, saying, right, what am I going to do then today if it's just a horrible day? And this is really, I know this is like reverse of all the kind of positive psychology. If we just give up on trying to turn the day around and we just say, okay, what if I wrote today off? What would I do in this day to comfort and support myself just while I get through the pain today? And actually, sometimes that releasing a pressure to make something good of it can actually create a bit of space and sometimes we can find ourselves in that space where we can access things that we couldn't access before but it's a little bit like that old thing where people kind of think I want to meet a romantic partner but I won't meet if I'm looking so there's a quality of magical thing we go I'll just stop looking for somebody and then they'll appear she's like I'm not looking where are they (laughs) No, no, I'm, I'm concentrating on myself. It better come soon. I've concentrated on myself for two weeks now. So, you know, you can't do the magical thinking of if I give up, I'll feel better. But there can be that release of that internal pressure, I think, that then there's some spaciousness. And what happens for us in that spaciousness can be really, really interesting. Mm. You know, and I, I just want to back up to something you said, because I think it's important. Um, when you mentioned how people wanted you to be grateful and that's mm-hmm. more for them. And I had a really similar experience when I first had my traumatic brain injury. I had somebody tell me, well, it's not like you have cancer, just get over it. Um, I have friends that are dying from cancer and it was so hurtful, so incredibly hurtful. But, you know, when I took the time to step away from it, like that was their shit, not mine. Right. Like Mm -hmm. they were having trouble dealing with whatever it was they were dealing with. It, it, it really had nothing to do with me. It just was, I was just the, the unfortunate target of that. Um, and it took me a long time to, cause this was someone I thought was a real friend. Right. And so it was very hurtful and it forever, um, and that, that friendship. Um, but I took it 
and I turned it into like, like I've written about this and shared what happened and it's helped other people going through brain injury. Cause this is really common in brain injury world. People don't understand it. It's invisible. Um, like a lot of disabilities and injury, um, illnesses. Mm-hmm. And it was an opportunity to turn it into a teaching lesson and to help other people, um, feel less alone. And I, you know, I just kind of wanted to interject that because it really has nothing to do with your therapeutic journaling. Um, but I think it's just, it was just something important that came up and I just felt we kind of needed to expand upon that a little bit and, and taking that opportunity, taking it as an opportunity to either help others or help yourself. Um, and I can see where having a journal could help you process through some of that that was said to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Um, it's horrendous. And exactly. And I hear a lot of similar comments to me from, from when I'm in workshops, you know, people will share and there's often, um, there's, you know, people set up like a false kind of hierarchy of pain. And right. so you know, like uh, even within cancer, certain cancers are sometimes more generally considered kind of worse or better yeah. and yeah. or have certain stigmas attached to them. And, you know, it's it's all, you know, very much structured and very unhelpful when you're there. Um, but, you know, as you say, having a journal can help you kind of unpick some of this stuff. And this is something which um, uh, we work with in therapeutically and, and in the journaling because there's um, a concept in uh, medical qigong which is called dark arrows. So this is when you know there's like a phrase or a word that it bumps into you, and this is and this is what my teacher called a dark arrow. And sometimes we can you know go through in the day and the the, the words that are stuck with us that evening, the words that are still with us when we're journaling on the bus home or something they can be the dark arrows that have lodged in us. And so sometimes it's a process where we can kind of pull them out, put them into the journal, start to examine them. And sometimes, you know, and then a, a transformation process can happen. So sometimes like you, people, people feel empowered to transform that into a lesson for themselves or for others. Sometimes people actually want to hand them back energetically and say do you know what that really was about you I'm just going to mentally flick that back to you and just I'm just going to hand it back from whence it came. I'm not not shooting at anybody I'm just going to mentally let it return to where it came and you're going to have to do whatever you do with the person who sent it and sometimes we just want to put it down and you know not make it a teachable moment and that's another thing about disability is sometimes there can be um you know, I remember one day I was actually in, in grad school and it was just a day I, you know, experienced some harassment on public transport, which I'm not going to do details of, but it was, you know, particularly terrifying harassment. Um, and then I was on, I was going down the stair lift in the college and content warning, obviously, for some ableism in the story. The... Um, staff member who was there kind of made beep beep noises and kind of kept trying to do my seatbelt up like I was a child I was going I don't actually want your hands in my lap like please get your hands out of my lap I don't want the lap belt done up by like get you please get your hands off me no thank you I don't need that help and I don't want you to do it but 
they kind of, the person actually went over me and insisted and then made these funny noises and it was just really really um infantilizing and and just horrible and afterwards I um, was speaking to a family member and they said how's your day and I said oh I said it is national ableism day and nobody told me and here I am unarmed just wandering I'm sorry this is possibly a, a, a wrong joke there's um like there aren't guns in the UK so I kind of meant unarmed without like a kind of big sign that's like leave me alone if you're ableist um this we don't have um, guns here thankfully so my apologies for that I don't mean that as a um as a, as a comment on gun laws at all more as unarmed in terms of comments or or, or ability mm-hmm. to hold boundaries very clearly because I was just you know, ready for a, 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 a normal level of day, but I was not ready for a day in which I got that much um, at me. And, you know, my family member said, it's okay, you're right about it, you'll turn it into something good. I said, you know what, I don't actually want it. I said, I've got so much stuff. I have got books and books and books. I did not need any more material for my writing or my journal. I had loads yeah. of it. Yeah. And sometimes there's that pressure to turn everything into a teachable moment. And there can be a process there whereby you are trying to make it not have hurt so much or for the hurt to be meaningful. Because if you turn it into a teachable moment, then it made it mean something and that makes it not so bad. And sometimes that can be very valid. And sometimes it can be our own attempt to skip over a kind of bypassing of how it really felt in that moment. And so sometimes there is something where we actually really want to put it down. And I love one of my teacher's teachers, Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Ristiz, who wrote Women Who Run With The Wolves. In Women Who Run With The Wolves, she writes about the process of making des cancels. So these are resting places. And you may have seen on the roads sometimes you'll see crosses that are put up with possibly flowers where, you know, somebody has very sadly died or been killed. And Dr. Steeds writes about it in terms of their journey finished there. You know, somebody's journey didn't continue, but there's yeah. a resting place that's been made there in that space. And she says that we can actually make in our journals, you know, we can make a space, a resting place for our pains and our suffering. So we can put them down. And I love that she said there's something to be said for pinning pinning your pain down to the ground in a place, giving it a resting place so it doesn't follow you around anymore. Mm, And so I love that. Thank you. So I me too. And so while I really honor the the transmography, that transformation empowerment of taking that arrow and fashioning it into you know a plowshare into something that that can be used to grow and to teach I simultaneously also value that sometimes we are so porcupine with arrows that we've got enough to make every plowshare that anybody would ever need and sometimes what we need to do is just bury those arrows somewhere and leave them behind um, and this is something that the journal um, mm, can really yeah. really be a place a, pl- a, a, a place to do the final resting place Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. that idea. And, and, you know, you talked earlier about taping pages together if you don't ever want to see that again. And, you know, I think that's so powerful. And I know some people remove the pages and, and burn them or shred them or whatever, but I kind of really like the concept of just taping them. They're still there. Like maybe someday you'll be ready to go back and look at that again. Um, and so I just, I think that's a really neat idea to just close it up so you aren't forced to look at it next time you open the journal. 
Thank you. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I love the concept when the things are journals is that it is a container because mm-hmm. it has edges. And one of the great things about containers is that they are designed and built to hold. And so we can put, and they, they hold, but they also differentiate. So they divide, they discern in a very specific way because you have to decide what is in and what is out. And that process of discernment can be really, really important because particularly after trauma, trauma, which many of us experience in many different ways, trauma as a um, an experience, generally in my, in, in, my, in my experience, has been the experience of breaking boundaries. Trauma often breaks and destroys or tries to, mm-hmm. to go over boundaries because something happened or something that was done or something you experienced that was beyond what you wanted, that you would have said no to if you could have or did say no, and something pushed through that. And after trauma, sometimes we can experience ourselves as really struggling to discern anything. So that's when, you know, it's kind of like, which movie do you want to watch? I don't know. I don't care. Whereas we used to have quite strong views on films and actually we had favourites, but now it's like, I don't mind what's, you know, and there's very much a sense when we're going to be checked out of our lives or just overwhelmed. And the process of actually discerning, of of parsing out, of making choices. And in the journaling therapeutic work, we call this using our, finding our teeth finding our heart because the teeth are we can bite things off but they can also kind of they can prevent things going in they can defend us it can be it's very much a boundary of the body mm. and you know when we find our teeth again after this trauma which we can do some of this through what we do and don't put in the journal what we put in the journal and contain in it and sometimes that is like we bite off a little bit and spit it out in the journal or we choose something over and digest it and process it in writing. And then we kind of carry it through with us. Um, because often uh, we will find that there is that, because our boundaries have been pushed down, we, we struggle to hold them. And so all this work, it's a process, I always imagine it as kind of finding the boundary that got stumbled on and bending down into the mud and digging your fingers in, picking up that fence and reciting it and re stating that fence and holding that boundary. And once we've once we're doing that discernment, once we're having that practice and that process again, I think it's going forward much more likely that we won't have so many of those dark arrows. We've recognized them a lot more because we have a sense then of more of our own boundaries. So this is me and this is not me. And when somebody else's stuff is flying at us, we have a sense of, oh, that's not mine. Whereas when we struggle with discernment, we can be very porous. There can be lots of reasons for all these things, but trauma can certainly often be one of them. We can be very porous and there isn't really a sense of kind of, as much as we might need there to be, of of I and thou, of, of what is me and what is not me. And so seeing ourselves on the page containing and holding and and writing ourselves home as a story can sometimes be a real part of that. Mm. So many great lessons there that I, um, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this again. You had so many nuggets. I took a bunch of notes, but (laughs) I love the dark arrows and oh, such great information, Grace. You are always just so lovely to talk with. Um, 
So Grace, we are just about out of time and I want to make sure that we talk about your free pre-appointment pep talks. Um, Tell us a little bit more about that and how people can find you. Thank you. Absolutely. So I created pre-appointment pep talks, which are is, is 10 days of audio coaching of me talking you through with hints and tips and ways to manage and ways to navigate any difficult upcoming appointments. And we created them because I'm sure you know yourself, Amy, you know, when you've got a medical appointment on the calendar, you've got a scan, you've got a test, you've got, unfortunately, with COVID, you've got a funeral sometimes, you've got a difficult presentation in work, you've got a pitch, you've got something coming up that basically just makes you want to hide under the covers. (laughs) Yes. Just like, I just... (laughs) I just don't, I I just don't know how to handle it. And so in pre-appointment pep talks, we actually go through how it's, so the idea is that you could start listening to them 10 days before your appointment and I'll coach you through every day leading up to that appointment to get you through it. So while we talk about specific ways to navigate appointments from what to take with you to how to speak and address the appointment to how to recover afterwards, we also cover, um, Uh, the kind of secret in it is that you're actually learning um, self-regulation and healthy, much more healthy psychological skills, hopefully, but it's through the lesson of how, of kind of emotional regulation and navigation and resourcing ourselves, but it's through the lesson of how we would handle an appointment. So my, my hope was, as always, to kind of both offer something very practical and pragmatic and something which has a more long term impact for your well-being. Um, and they are downloadable on my website, gracequantock.com. That's G-R-A-C-E-Q-U-A-N-T-O-C-K dot com. And people will also get my monthly creativity and wellness letters, postcards from the margins, uh, which do regular updates and resources. And I'm just so excited for people to have them. Oh, wonderful. And I do have a link to your website in the show notes. So anyone can click through and find that and they can also connect with you on Twitter. What your, your Twitter is also Grace Quantock. It is. My Twitter is also Grace underscore Quantock. And I am also on Instagram and uh, I am also Grace underscore Quantock on Instagram too. And like I've been blogging for since 2011. So I've got guides to journaling. I've got videos about journaling. I've got downloadable free printables for it. All of it's on my website. Loads, there's loads of free content there. Um, and if people want to ask me any questions, of course, please just get in touch. I'm, I will um, really be excited to hear from anybody from the show. I'm so excited to support people to start journaling. Mm. Well, thank you so very much for being here today, Grace. It has just been a pleasure chatting with you. And I hope that everyone today has learned a few golden nuggets like I have. So I thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please consider leaving a five-star review wherever you are listening to help others on their own wellness journey discover this podcast. Thank you all for listening. Have a great day. Day, everyone, and I'll see you in the next episode.